0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. This is episode 32, and with MLB starting up in just a couple of days, I had to bring back my buddy we talked about earlier and uh, some last-minute fantasy baseball stuff and more importantly DFS talk the one and only Yancey Eaton you can find him on Twitter at Yancey Eaton you can find him on podcasts all over the world but he has two of his own dear Mr. Fantasy and pop goes your world Two quality quality podcasts but most importantly Yancey my man how you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing really good. It's a Thursday when we're recording this and uh, through my shed because I'm recording early enough that there is light. It's weird that we're recording early like this, but I really appreciate it just because my schedule has been so crazy. And I'm so excited because I'm on the cusp. I'm on like my vacation eve. I have one more day of work tomorrow. And then I always take off the first week of baseball. And uh, it's it's epic. I, I don't know what to call it. I need to call it something. But for a solid week, all I do is just stay at home and grill meat I spent like $300 on meat and like Costco and Whole Foods the other day. I drink, I watch baseball. That's all I do. It just, it goes down. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, DraftKings, they, I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel, they have their lobbies open. There's contests. I have drafts going on almost every single day leading up until opening day. It's just, this is seriously like my favorite time of the year, like
1: 100%. Well, to me, that sounds like a baseball fan's paradise. You don't even have to leave town. It's like the best staycation ever. So you, you, you have it figured out, my friend. It's figured out. Um, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see all your Twitter pictures of barbecuing. It's going to be amazing.
2: (laughs) I can't tell if you're being facetious or not, but I'll go with that. I I like to grill some meat. That's the only thing I know how to do. I don't cook. I don't make casseroles. I don't bake. I don't know how to make cookies. Uh, I just grill a lot of meat all the time, like three, four times a week, which may or may not be healthy. I'm not 100% sure, but it's my thing. So we're going to do it. I
1: am not being facetious. I am 100% on board. I appreciate seeing the barbecue updates by Yancy. No joke in there. But uh, let's get into some things. You mentioned you've been drafting almost every night. I've had like one or two drafts a week. I think I have one more left. I have to check. It's just gotten chaotic. But I know we talked a couple, you know, three four weeks ago about some philosophies on drafting. Well, now I want to get with you. How has your, your drafting been going, your auctions been going? Like, are they going – Kind of as you would plan them, or are you having to do a lot of bobbing and weaving? Like, what's what have you noticed, like trend wise, on your drafts?
2: So, average draft position, ADP. Everybody knows kind of roughly what that means, but it doesn't mean that the same players are being taken around the same spots in every single draft. I've noticed in mine, just because uh, every single draft is a little different, there's a different level of, of players or different skills and different uh, you know scoring settings and stuff. Every single league is completely different. It, it really is. It's like a snowflake. There's no two drafts that are exactly the same. And having to adjust that on the fly, like whenever I go into an auction and I see immediately if there are people, you know, if there are players going for 55 you know, $59 right off the bat, I instantly know that I'm going to have to adjust. And I've seen a lot of that. Then I've been in other auctions and other drafts too where players who I thought would have been you know, I I would I would expect you know a Clayton Kershaw to be fifty five dollars in some of these leagues just because people don't mind you know p- paying the extra money for it. Sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. So adjusting on the fly has been key for me. I think we talked about that last podcast too. But every single one's been a little different. There's a. Uh, there's been news that's come out, and you know, like with Matt Harvey, for instance, Matt Harvey's velocity all of a sudden spiked to like 97, he was touching 98, and then he flew up the ADP charts. All of a sudden, he was getting picked 20, 25 picks higher. Um, Carlos Carrasco, though, has setbacks, and all of a sudden his his ADP is plummeting. There's just a lot of stuff that's going on day by day, and that's kind of why I like waiting as late as possible to schedule my drafts, which I know that's it's not good advice now, because most of the listeners are probably already drafted or they're drafting this weekend, but just keep that in the back pocket guys. If you can schedule your drafts as late as humanly possible, do it because the more information you have, the absolute better. You won't get stuck holding a player like a Steven Matz who I, I kept in a super, super deep league and it's going to burn me. But um, I don't, I don't really know how to end this, but uh, what other questions do you have?
1: Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. I hate drafting early for football, baseball, whatever fantasy world you live in. I hate drafting early because something always seems to happen. an injury, Heck, Dusty Baker today announces Blake Tryon. The third option, essentially, is now the closer Mm -hmm. for the Mats. Like, everything that could go wrong can go wrong. So, yeah, the later, the better. Um, What would you say? Because I know I've heard you talk elsewhere. Um, You have a bunch of – you have dynasties. You have, you know, your home leagues. You have other leagues. What would you categorize, like, one of your best-looking teams and one of your worst teams, like, where it went wrong, just everything that could go wrong went wrong? Like What's been good and bad? Um,
2: I did an auction draft last night with Sammy Reed, Doug Thorburn, uh, Paul Spohr, and uh, a bunch of their listeners for the Baseball Hol- Baseball holics Anonymous podcast. And um, I was pretty happy overall with it. And it was kind of a completely different team than I'm used to kind of auctioning off. Or I spent almost $150 on pitching, which, like I said, it's something I never, I've never, i never chosen to do, you know, willingly. Um, are you still by the way? Bye-bye. Do I still have you on your end, Bubba? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I'm getting some really bad uh, lag on my end, but it, it
1: froze for a second, but no worries.
2: Okay, cool. All right, my bad. Um, Keep in mind, I am recording this in a shed, guys. So uh, anyways, so in this, I uh, I got caught price enforcing, basically, very, very early on, where I spent $50 for Arenada, which was, that was my target. And, uh, you know, this is one of those auctions where players, you know, there were five players that went for at least $50. And uh, so I wanted one of the big bats. I went and got Arenado and then I got caught price enforcing on Max Scherzer where I threw him out for $30 and I got cricketed. And as soon as that happens, you always have like this sick feeling in your stomach where you're like, okay, did something happen that I didn't know about? And of course they're a little worried about like his index finger, which I think is completely fine. But using that $30 on him, it basically set me back to where I had to completely realign. Like I was, I was literally planning on spending like $35 on my pitching staff. Um, I ended up backing him up with Archer just because I, And then a bunch of, you know, middling, like a, like a Donald type thing because it's a net saves plus holds league. And I spent so much money on my pitching that my hitting leaves a little bit to desire be desired. I mean, outside of Arenado, I don't have a ton of big bats um, but it's one of the most interesting teams that I think I've ever drafted. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of platoon players. Like I got both sides of platoons. Um, It's just, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go about auctions. I feel particularly good about that one. Most of my other ones are keeper leagues, which you know, I I mean, I have leagues where I'm keeping Stanton, Votto, Kershaw. You know, all all these you know power bats and power arms and stuff. But you still don't know whenever you're in a super deep league like that. Literally anything can happen. But um, from a regap standpoint, I've only done one, and uh, <laughs> I got the kiss of death. Man, they uh, Yahoo projected me to finish first. I don't like whenever that happens because it's never portended well for me. I always end up doing really poorly. Um, and I'm one of those guys where like the last two or three drafts I was drafting, like you said, Coda, Coda Glover, expecting him to be the closer. And look at that. Literally 12 hours later, he was announced as, you know, just like a regular setup guy. But, um, all in all, I feel pretty good about my drafts. So you said you have done a couple too. So how many drafts are you looking at right now?
1: I have done five or six at least, um, I was going through some of them this morning, trying to look at waiver wires and see who was available. Apparently, I've, I drafted sharper guys than I thought because Tryon was gone everywhere. Um, all the big moves, Wheeler's been drafted everywhere, which I'm not huge on Wheeler, but heck, he's a starter in a deeper league. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that just make me laugh when you look at stuff. But uh, most importantly, we'll get into this a little later. Is there's a lot of guys that did not get drafted that are going to be available and probably on teams within the first few weeks. But real quick, you were talking about auctions and it's been talked about a lot over the industry. And I know you like auctions a lot and you know this person very well. I just wanted to, it could be a quick opinion on this. Most people, and you've said it like to kind of balance out their roster in an auction. You said you went a little differently yeah. with your pitchers, heavy auction this last time. Well, Paul Sporer at Tout Wars kind of went way off the grid. And yeah, he did. He goes against Joey Votto for 41, Arenado for 41, Story for 25, Harper for fifty, or for 44, and Trout for 50. And that's just his hitters alone. Yep. How do
2: you feel about this
1: philosophy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so I wouldn't normally recommend this strategy. We should know it as a caveat in case people don't follow that league particularly. It is an on-base percentage league. Okay, so Joey Votto is a definitive first-rounder. Um, In most other standard Roto leagues that just do batting average, you may not consider him a a first rounder. He's more of like a, you know, early second or end of the second rounder. Um, But all these players are obviously elite and I think they're all going to perform, you know, among the best in the league. And what's really crazy too, is you would expect that to be a superstars and scrubs lineup. Whenever you look at the rest of it, he really did a nice job like identifying values and filling out the rest of his roster. He doesn't have holes. He doesn't have platoon bats filling out starting positions. Um, for somebody who's maybe a little bit newer or isn't as familiar say you haven't been doing a ton of research in the offseason and you're not as familiar with the player pool or with you know transactions and stuff this is paul spore's life this dude re- records podcasts five six times a week his job is to comb every single depth chart to see every single transaction he's constantly talking with people who are much smarter than we are and he really knows his stuff obviously so he was able to like i said extract value in every possible way and i'm Honestly, I'm just—I don't know how he did it. I, I don't know if I could assemble a team like that. Um, It's—I it, 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 want to say it's incredibly top-heavy, but even his worst bats and his worst pitchers have a built-in floor, and they have upside built into them too. So I just think he did a fantastic job all the way around.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to bring it up real quickly to people that are kind of new to this whole deal, because like you said, his his surrounding cast, you could say, is outstanding. The value you got all the dollar players he got. Easily could yep. have gone for more than a dollar. You look at somewhat equivalent players, like say a pitcher or a hitter on other rosters that went for three, $4. Well, he couldn't have pulled that off. He somehow it worked out. And I would just, I wanted to talk about it real quick yeah. because I know you love your fair. auctions.
2: It's not fair is what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it really was. was, it was. Roster, I'm looking at it like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Pure craziness. But, um, Let's get into uh, what are some of the key names? Like Everyone has a, a, f- like a flock of players they just love, they want to have, they're targeting. What are some of the guys you noticed, maybe not even targeting on purpose, but happen to be on a lot of your rosters?
2: Um, so it has changed a little bit in the last week or so of me drafting. I seem to be uh, kind of like diversifying my portfolio a little bit more. It's really scary whenever you target the same handful of players in every single draft. And one of them gets hurt because all of a sudden you're struggling to fill a hole in in eight different leagues. You know what I mean? On the flip side of that, obviously, if they go absolutely ham, you have one player affecting eight of your teams. You know what I mean? Um, I I think from a pitching standpoint, the pitchers I have the most exposure to are Chris Archer, uh, who we talked about in the last podcast. I think he's just a huge bounce back candidate. He's the most obvious uh, starting pitcher bounce back candidate I think that is out there um Tanaka Tanaka is a number one that's going at number two prices all across the board people just don't take him seriously and then for uh, relief pitchers it's Cody Allen I, I think Cody Allen is uh, I read this on Tristan Cockroft's stats I think I, I mentioned this on a couple podcasts too he's one of only like four relievers who had at least a 30 percent strikeout rate each of the last four seasons and had at least 30 saves I mean he's just fantastic at what he does and I'm not worried about uh Andrew Miller being there at all he's more of like the fireman you know he's gonna be great in in holds leagues and stuff, but Cody Allen's just coming at such a discount that I don't mind that at all on the hitting side. uh, I'm ending up with a ton of Brandon belt, Brandon belt. People don't realize this third highest line drive percentage in the league. Um, His walk rate last season was 15%. I mean, He's an absolute stud when it comes to on-base percentage leagues. Uh, Kyle Seeger, one of the most boring picks. Everybody just kind of wants to pick somebody else, but he's improved in almost every single offensive category each of the last four seasons. That includes home runs they have gone up every single year, his weighted on-base average, his hard-hit contact, and his fly ball rate. Kyle Seeger has improved every single year. and Last year, he finally hit 30 home runs, so I expect more of that. And then just really quickly, my boys, Christian Yelich, Kevin Kiermaier, Stanton, who I still believe is going to hit 50 home runs one day and is going to be on most of my teams. Adam Eaton, I love Adam Eaton. Even with him batting sixth, uh, which they've said that might happen, I think whenever they're when they're facing lefties, I, I think he's going to lead off and then he and Trey Turner are going to switch in that leadoff role. I still think he's a great value. I think the Nationals are going to score a ton of runs. And then some other like really, really back-end guys that I've been – you know, it's like my late in plays for a dollar. Odubel Herrera, Marcus Simeon, Dribble Cabrera. Dribble Cabrera, I think he's going to be on that Daniel Murphy plan where that hitting coach has just like worked wonders with a bunch of players who are recasts and, you know, had multiple offensive seasons that were just below replacement level. And in the second half last year, dribble Cabrera was making a ton of contact, uh, looked fantastic. I think he's going to carry out the season. That's that's one of my late in plays. If I can't figure out what I'm going to do at shortstop, I wait and wait and wait and just take his dribble. Um... I mean, there's a couple others, but that's like my core guys that I seem to get at least three or four of these in every single auction or draft I'm in.
1: No, I like that. Um, I'm big on Kiermaier as well. I like the Cabrera take a lot because I noticed myself last year, DFS for, for certain, but um, even in in season-long leagues, I was somehow gravitating towards him in a lot of leagues where I needed another middle infielder or a shortstop, and he was very, mm-hmm. very formidable, very formidable, yeah. and people don't realize that. Um yeah. people forget when he was with the Indians he was a top like not prospect but a young stud that raked. Mm-hmm. And um he had a little downtime. He got hurt. Things happen. Um I I like that. I like that a lot. Uh Stanton, I pray he can stay healthy just one year so we can watch him just unload on the baseball. That would be amazing. But uh um, I like that. It will, That's it a good will guys it to definitely have. Definitely have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um Speaking of something similar to that, what were some of the players that you saw going like just stupid high? Like, you know, everyone's big ones like Gary Sanchez. It's too high for a catcher. It should not be happening or something like that. What are some players you've seen going too high?
2: Uh, Gary Sanchez is candidate number one. <laughs> Trey Turner would be a close second. Trey Turner's going in the first round in some leagues. Um he's this year's version of Carlos Correa to me, where I think he's gonna be a very good player. I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, lose your league if you draft him in the first or second round. Um, but I think the expectations are so unrealistically high for him that even if he has a good season, he's gonna be viewed as a disappointment. And I don't think that he, you know, taking him in the first round, it's not gonna be justified by his production. Um so I'm 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 not in on Trey Turner where he's at. I just I don't know. It's really scary for me. George Springer, especially in rotisserie leagues, um, everybody is just, they're, they're so enticed by uh, you know the power speed potential there, but we have never really seen him steal stolen bases at the clip that we saw in the minors. And in rotisserie leagues, standard 5 by 5 leagues, he was the number 78 overall player in 2016 on ESPN's Player Rater. 78. That's almost solely because of his batting average, which is absolutely atrocious. Obviously, it's a little bit better in OBP leagues, but like I said, standard leagues... He's being super overdrafted. Uh, Greg Bird, he's everybody's, like, darling. The last couple of weeks, like, he's gone up almost three full rounds, and it's just because of spring training stats. I understand the left-handed power thing, you know, in Yankee Stadium is going to play up. I don't hate it. I'm not saying that he's going to be a bad player, too. But, um, I mean, he's he's over the top 200 now, and he may be platooning, which, I, I mean, I just I just don't know. And then, lastly, Carlos Carrasco. i am hearing about setback after setback. I know he's immensely talented, but it's uh, (laughs) when are we going to see, you know, like him just be completely solid for an entire season? You know, he's going he's still it's not like he's being taken super, super early, but he's going before guys like Carlos Martinez, Kyle Hendricks, you know, uh, Tanaka, Cole Hamels. I would rather have all those guys right now and people are still drafting Carrasco in front of them. It's just it's way too risky for me. I like to mitigate risk as much as possible in early rounds. And it's just his ADP is just too early for me.
1: Yeah. I've heard you talk a lot and I share a lot of this philosophies you do, like speaking on Carrasco uh, when I'm drafting, especially my early like five, six, seven rounds, even I try to avoid injuries at all costs. I want something that's going to show up and play. Um, Especially with a guy like Carrasco, who is just, it seems like it's a perennial injury risk. Yeah. It's not even just like a one-time thing. Um, And And it's it's never
2: even the same injury too. It's, it's, (laughs) <laughs> multiple injuries different body parts soft tissue injuries everything it's just it's really frustrating like I said the guy's immensely talented I'm not a hater last year he was everybody's trendy kind of like AL Cy Young sleeper pick and obviously didn't work out just because of injury but um I mean he's just like and I'm sure he's gonna put it together one season but I I, I I'm more apt to to pay for pitchers, or I'm sorry. I'm more have to pay for hitters as opposed to pitchers, just because man, it it's pitchers get hurt, and if you've already shown that you're getting hurt, that's the number one predictor of future injuries is past injuries.
1: Oh yeah, and, and a shoulder or an elbow, those things just sometimes they never heal. Uh, hitters like Stanton, he got hit in the face with a baseball, like that's out of his control. That's not something you would predict. <laughs> People forget this. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't like he like tore his ACL or something. It's totally fluky type stuff um mm-hmm. last but not least on the season long uh talk because we do this all day but um, what are some of the guys like in his dribble cabrera who have probably a lot of leagues never got drafted um that you're keeping your eye on already just in case something happens come waiver wire time week one or something
2: okay i got a couple names uh travis shaw Travis Shaw last season, there was a month and a half where he was absolutely raking. And, you know, obviously he fell off a little bit, ended up getting traded for Tyler Thornburg uh, to Milwaukee. He's being drafted number 365 overall. He's going to play every single day in an awesome ballpark. Every single day, um, I think he can he can hit home runs. He can still live to the bases. That offense is going to score runs, and they like to run. So, you know, he's not exactly a burner, but I think there's some stolen base upside there. And that 365th overall, I that's somebody I'm kind of keeping an eye on. If he, Like I said, if he's going to play every single day, absolutely. Uh, another one's Joe Panic. Uh, Battle of injury last year. His BABIP was 245. So everybody just assumed that he was, you know, he just wasn't performing well. Um, I mean, he went from a, a batting average two years ago of 312 to 239 last season, but his contact percentage and his hard hit rate remained completely consistent. Um, so, like I said, healthy all season. I think that's a really nice source of uh, batting average, which is the hardest thing to pick up off of waiver wires. So I'm kind of looking at him. And then lastly, Delano DeShields, his ADP right now is 425 overall. I know that he was just announced as the uh, starting left fielder over Profar, which, you know, upset a lot of people. Um, so that that ADP is going to go up over the next couple of days while people are still drafting. But, you know, this is a player that has almost no power whatsoever. He's going to slug about, you know, 350 Um, but he, he stole 25 bases in the majors as recently as 2015. This guy is a burner who in a full season, if he remains healthy, he can steal you. He can give you Starling Marte numbers in the power, or I'm sorry, in the speed departments. I'm kind of keeping an eye on him too. Um, other than that, like these aren't guys, I mean, these are guys that are being drafted, but they're being super under drafted. DJ LeMayhew last year was a 38th best player in fantasy, you know, standard five by five leagues. I like drafting him not only because of the batting average, but because he gives you indirect exposure to the Rockies lineup, and you don't have to pay like the premium on Arenado or Charlie Blackman or Carlos Gonzalez. So you still get a piece of that offense almost, you know, indirectly. And then I mentioned him earlier at the top of the show, but Brandon Belt, one fifty-five overall, he's the twenty-second first baseman. He's being taken as like uh, Albert Pujols and Morales and Adrian Gonzalez, and I just, <laughs> I just don't understand why. I, I get that he's a little vanilla. I still think that there's a breakout there. So those those are what, like five or six names that I'm going to be keeping an eye on them. Those are, you know, Hugh and Bell. I'm going to be looking to trade for them. But I'm really intrigued by Shaw. I will say this. I think he's going to have a, a career resurgence like Jonathan Fiar did whenever he went to Milwaukee.
1: I like that Shaw call a lot because that ballpark is um... – like, not saying Boston wasn't a hitter-friendly park, but for a left-handed bat, definitely is not hitter-friendly. Very tough, yep. unless he it straight down that line. Um, I like the call on Shaw. He's going to really like to hit in that ballpark. Plus, Great American Ballpark is going to be a fun one to hit in. He, ha- he has a good division to go play in. And um, sometimes change the scenery where someone's not over your back. Even in Boston, when Sandoval was hurt, they were still trying to find ways to have Shaw platoon and stuff. Like, there's always constant – worries about playing time. Young kids can't worry about that stuff. Yeah. That was always my that was always my pet peeve with talking about Brandon Belt as a Giants fan. It always killed me as well he can't hit left handed bats, so we're gonna bench him. Well you're never gonna know until you let the kid face left handed pitching.
2: Yeah, it's the same thing like, we're seeing right now up. with, it's the same thing we're seeing with uh, Michael Conforto or with Colton Wong. You know, they're being cast as platoon players, basically, just because they're never given the chance. You're never going to get better at hitting lefties unless you face lefties. That's, that's proven. Exactly. I mean, riding pine or being, you know, optioned back and forth between AAA isn't going to accomplish anything. It's frustrating, but I, I do think he's a talented hitter. And like I said, he's going to play every single day.
1: Yeah, no, I I, uh, I like the love you're giving to the Giants with Panic and Belt. Panic uh, Panic's a guy everyone quote unquote craps on, but yeah. you hit it on the head. He was so hurt last year. People forget the All Star year he had the year before, where he actually showed kind of power, gap power, like really wasn't a bad ball player and hit for great average, near the top of the order, scoring runs. Like there's something to this. Yeah. Um, I like that call a lot because he's not getting drafted anywhere. Um, one more thing before we move on, you mentioned Trey Turner and I forgot to mention this and I laugh every time. And trust me, if people know me, I'm just sarcastic. I like to have a good time. So there's no ill will to this at all. Yeah. But you know, someone I'm talking about, you mentioned his name earlier. How do you <laughs> pronounce his first name? It's Trey. Is it Treya or Trey?
2: I think it's Trey. I think it's Trey and it's spelled weird. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I don't know why it's spelled like that. Um, it, I, 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 I obviously don't know. It's one of those things where like, I haven't even really watched like an interview or anything by him. I'm sure one of us is right, one of us is wrong. But I'm going to go with Trey until I'm proven otherwise. I, I know there's a lot of people that pronounce it Treya, but that's,
1: uh, that's not me. I, I, hear, I hear Sammy say it every time on his podcast, and I laugh every time when I'm driving in my car. Yeah. Cause I, I just chuckle because I'm like, that's outstanding. Yeah. But uh, it's just one of those little things. Again, no ill wills, but uh, let's move on to some more baseball talk before we get into DFS. Mm-hmm. Um, you already said it with Greg Bird, and I liked Bird going into the spring. He blows up. He's like this year's Mikel Franco in the draft, how he's just skyrocketed, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And worse off, he's platooning, which is horrible. Um, were there any spring performances that really did catch your eyes in a good way that kind of made you like rethink, hey, I might look into this guy or something?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um so Jaselman for the Mets, uh two three one ERA, one oh seven whip. Um you know, he's not facing stellar lineups every single day, but he's looked fantastic. Um, I mean, left-handed pitchers are kind of like my forte. It's like my soft spot. I'm left-handed myself, and, you know, I can't throw the ball to save my life. But um, he's looked fantastic. He has a rotation spot secured. You know, there's all kinds of injury concerns and stuff with the likes of, you know, Steven Matz and stuff. So um, he's somebody that I'm really taking a look at, and, you know, you can get him in that Super, super, you know, big tier, like that big glob of, of pitchers around like the de Reese types and stuff. And I think there's a lot of built in upside there. Um, I've mentioned him a couple of times, but Mitch Haniger, he's the only player in spring with at least 60 at bats. that's hit 400. So he's hit exactly 400, which is awesome, regardless of what level of competition. That's still really hard to do. Um, so, I mean, he's basically going to be their everyday right fielder in an offense. That I think is going to take a step forward this year. They have a lot more lineup balance, uh, you know, defensively, obviously they're going to be a lot better, but this used to be a really, really left-handed heavy team. Like outside of Nelson Cruz, they were basically a bunch of lefties and nothing else. So I'm, I'm really excited about him. And then Jesus Aguilar, I was a little late kind of jumping on doing some research on him, but he's been raking all spring. He's only 26 years old. He was claimed by, I think the Indians, Um, and I mean, he only plays first base. What's really nice is he's leading the team in hitting at 463. He has leading the team in hits with 25 total bases at 47, six homers, 16 RBI. His own base percentage in the spring is 525 slugging 870. His OPS is 1395. He's basically leading the team in every single offensive category. Like I said, it sucks that he's only first base eligible and, you know, in Milwaukee, that's kind of difficult because, you know, they have a lot of of players that they're moving around back and forth, but. Um, that's, that's somebody I'm going to keep an eye on. I mean, I, I honestly think he's mixed league relevant if he's going to play, you know, get 500 plate appearances or something like that. If he can continue to rake like that, like I said, only 26 years old, there's a lot of upside in that bat.
1: And again, he's in that ballpark you mentioned with Travis Shaw, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a guy, because I didn't know much about him either until very recently, kind of in the same boat you are. You actually still know more about him than I do. Um, <laughs> but they signed a guy... Eric Thames to potentially be first base now, because right. of Aguilar they're talking Tames going to play the outfield.
2: What are your th- thoughts? How do you think this impacts Thames or did you just not care about Thames to begin with going into the, AMC? I don't want to say I, I, I don't care about him. I mean, they gave him a multi-year contract and, You know, I'm not sure. I think it's, what, six or seven million guaranteed per year or something like that. They're going to play him, but his playing time isn't absolutely guaranteed. It's not like they spent so much money on him that they're going to continue rolling him out every single day, regardless of how much he struggles. Um, So it's one of those things where they're trying people out. Like I said, Aguilar is 26. If he's raking, they're going to continue to use him and, and kind of see if they have something there. And, I mean, I... You know, Thames can play first. He can play left field. I'm not really sure exactly what they're going to do. They may do one of those things. You know, when they have interleague play, or they're playing an American League team, they'll they'll switch DH duties. I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to work when they get them both on the field, but. One thing I've noticed with, with Milwaukee is they like players who can play multiple positions. You know, Travis Shaw can play first, he can play third, he can play the outfield. You have guys like Hernan uh, Perez, who's one of my fantasy stud picks from last season. He ended up doing really well, but, you know, he can play almost every single position around the diamond that isn't catcher. Um, so they kind of like that versatility. It sucks regular, like I said, only plays first base, but... Um, I think things can move around a little bit and play left or or right. He's not really a center fielder, but I'm just really interested. It's it's like a, a really weird name. You know, we may not be – it's like a Juan Acasio last year. You remember how everybody was talking about him because he looked so fantastic. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was just elite, and his velocity was up, and everybody was talking about the race-urgence effect, and then he was completely dog shit for the entire season, and nobody talked about him again. I'm hoping that's not it with him. He just seems like a really neat player that I'm kind of keeping my eye out on.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I was just curious because I've heard mixed mixed results on Thames, and I ended up picking him in the league last night. He fell, and I said, screw it. I'll take the chance on some yeah. pop and some steals with the guy late in the draft. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Um, okay, we already mentioned Dusty Baker pulling a whole Dusty move and putting Tryon as the closer. Mm-hmm. Any other, like, really surprise cuts or guys sent to the minors or whatever that you've seen so far uh, as we're approaching the start of the season?
2: Just one, uh, Ho Park, <laughs> they DFA'd him today. I mean, he got sent down and that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I mean, you know, you still have Joe Maurer playing first base in DH, but Park last season amidst all of his struggles still made a ton of contact. He was at the top of the lead, uh, the leaderboard when it came to barrel percentage, which was, you know, getting really, really hard contact in the sweet spot of the bat at a you know specific, you know, uh, plane and, and, and launch angle, all this stuff was really making strides in the second half once he started to get a little bit more consistent playing time. And he's been raking this spring, and they still DFA'd him, which I just don't <laughs> I don't understand that. That was the one thing that stuck out to me. There were a couple others as far as like, uh, you know, starting pitchers that I thought were going to make the rotation, but they're probably going to be called up in a couple of weeks just to get that Super 2 out of the way. Um, but that was the one that really, really stuck with me. I This Minnesota Twins team, man, this front office – it's been a decade of ineptitude. They've they've changed over their front office uh, for the most part. They still have some some carryovers, but I still get the sense that they don't really have a, a, a direction or a vision or really know what they're doing at all. And that was just one of the most questionable moves I've seen in the entire offseason was Bianco Park being sent down.
1: A thousand percent agree with you on that one. I saw that this morning, and literally all I tweeted was, "Now we know why the twins are the twins. Never change yep. twins. Twins doing twins <laughs> things. Basically, <So> like <laughs> this is what they're doing." It's yep. just he hit. Sure, his average was bad last year, but like you said, his hard hit contact, his fly ball, all that stuff was phenomenal last year. Mm-hmm. And then all he does is come back this spring after already getting DFA'd earlier, takes the invite to spring training, and just mashes. Yep. Crushes everything. And you're telling me you'd rather have Kenny's Vargas than Young Home Park? Vargas, <laughs> I, I by just, the way, just...
2: Vargas, by the way, who's going to start the season on the disabled list. So it's not like you have this amazing oh, this amazing horde of, of of hitters that are you're trying to pick from. You see what I'm saying? It almost seems intentional, like they're trying to send a message or they don't they don't like him. You know what I mean? I've, I've seen this with the organizations. The Rays did this with Tim Beckham last season. They sent him down because of they didn't like his attitude and he wasn't hustling out plays. And then whenever rosters expanded in the fall, they didn't call him back up just to send a message. I think that – I mean, I could be wrong. This could just be narrative conjecture, but it feels like that's what's going on with Park. I think they just don't like him, and there's a lot of buyer's remorse there. I who knows?
1: It would make sense. It would make sense because I, I mentioned it on a podcast I did before. I was very confused when he did get DFA He go through the waiver process and no team picked him up either. So I'm I wondering thought, if there's no. something that we don't know about. Like there's something maybe I'm not going to go. Okay. I'm not saying it's like, <laughs> you know, other Asian problems we've had with like Jung Ho Kong and stuff like that. Yeah. That's way extreme, yeah. but maybe there's something we just behind closed doors. That's a little different. Like you're saying, um, because we sure know he can hit it 450 feet, no problem. Um, speaking of another guy that had some off the field issues and basically blew up the, you know, every Twitter hot take yesterday, jury's Familia is only getting suspended 15 games by the uh, Major League Baseball for his domestic violence issue, given there is no charges, his wife withdrawed. Tons of things you can read up on that he's been doing well. I still think it's kind of odd. I thought it was a minimum 30 type deal.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Any takes on this one at all? Uh, I go back and forth on this. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, domestic violence situations like this. I I don't think that any professional uh, sports league handles it as well as they should. I think they're getting better, but something like this, 15 games, I'm upset with the league. And I, I do think it's like a slap on the wrist, especially for a pitcher or even a relief pitcher who doesn't, he doesn't get into the game every single day. It's like whenever they suspend a starting pitcher for five games, which it's really just one start. You're basically pushing back his start a day. Um, that stuff kind of pisses me off. But in this case, you got to understand too, guys, that there's a there's a players' union. Okay, so every single uh, uh, you know punishment that's sent down by the the commissioner's office has to be agreed upon by the the players' association. So as much as we want to get mad and you know grab our, our pitchforks and you know just completely lambast the the front office and the you know all these ownership groups and stuff that are making these decisions on this. Uh, it's the players union that protects them too, and they have a financial interest to make sure that he is playing as many games as possible. That's their job. I, It sucks. It's a slap on the wrist. It sends a bad message, I think, but I mean, it is what it is. He's still a fantastic pitcher. Um, I, I think he's going to supplant uh, Addison Reed when he does come back. But, I mean, I guess that's a cheap source of saves at the beginning of the season for a couple weeks at the most. But, yeah, other than that, I, I, I don't think he's a particularly uh, fantastic human being. I wasn't there, but from what I've read, uh, doesn't seem like a really stand-up guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you pretty much nailed that one. Um, I think it – you know, their argument is there is no – no conviction. There's no, like, phone call or weapons or anything like that. But yeah. bottom line, we know something happened. The wife made a phone call. There was evidence at the – like. there's so many things you can go on with this. I'm not an investigator. I'm not a lawyer. Like you said, you weren't. But I think it just sets a bad precedent for Major League Baseball. Like you said, 15 games, what's that really doing to start the season? Nothing. Um, I, I kind of find it very shady, to say the least, that basically all they're showing you is you have to go and – Talk to a couple classes and do a couple things. We're going to basically slap you on the wrist. It yeah. looks pretty bad for for when last year they're trying to say we're going to stand up and make statements and all this, and then that happens. So, very surprised there. Um, one more thing before we get to a couple predictions. Um, what are a couple players looking for bounce backs? You mentioned a couple earlier. Do you have any other ones you're looking into? Big bounce backs I- this year?
2: Here's another one that I was late on, but I've I've really come around on it. Is Matt Holliday? I just think it's 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 too obvious. I mean, I know he's older than dirt, but um, I think that the Yankees lineup is going to be surprisingly good. There's a lot of young blood in that. I think he's going to be rejuvenated. I think he's going to be healthy. And like I said, just playing that ballpark is fantastic. We mentioned Chris Archer at the top of the show. I'm going to continue touting him, trying to like win you guys as many leagues as possible. I think Chris Archer is just going to be an absolute stud, guys. He's like a dark horse Cy Young contender, and I I genuinely mean that. Um, other than that. I really like the Angels rotation, especially like the top of the rotation. And a lot of people aren't talking about them. But Garrett Richards, uh, I mean, he's been touching 100 in the spring. Um, I, I like uh, Matt Shoemaker for a bounce back. And I like uh, Skaggs. I mean, they have pieces there. You can kind of see like this, this framework where the Angels can actually be competitors. Obviously, they have Mike Trout. It, it, you know, if we can get 30 home runs again from pools, they're fine. Cole Calhoun is one of the, the best, you know, forgotten second best outfielders on a team in all of baseball. Nobody realizes how good he is. Um, and defensively, they're going to be really good, too, with Andrew Simmons and, you know, Escobar. There's just a lot to kind of, you know, they're not very deep. They don't have a good farm system. And I don't know what their financial situation is right now. But uh, they're kind of like one of my like sleeper candidates. And I, I, I want pieces of that pitching staff. That's all I'll say.
1: Interesting. Um, I've heard a lot of people just so negative on the Angels, but everything you said makes total sense. I've always liked Garrett Richards. Again, he's kind of been a fluky injury guy, like running to first base and his knee gives out. Like They weren't all structural things that affect the pitcher. Another thing people need to realize when they think injury risk. Totally different. Um, Skaggs I'm curious on. Mm -hmm. I've always been big on Shoemaker, but um, their bullpen is really bad. And that's the biggest concern I have, but (laughs) um, you never know. Never (laughs) know with baseball. That's the beautiful thing about baseball, especially as starting so soon is right now they're all zero, zero and baseball's baseball. Anything can happen. Mm -hmm. So heck, Yancy, you watch the world series in Tampa Bay.
2: (laughs) This is true. This is true. I mean, we lost four games to one to, you know, the Phillies, but it happened. We did it with a $40 million payroll, but you know, crazier things have happened.
1: That's my point. So then now that you mentioned, you know, dark horse candidate angels, you're probably not going to predict them to win it, but let's do a couple of predictions. What do you have like for division winners and a world series matchup? What do you have?
2: Uh, For division? I wish I could, I wish I could talk myself into being a big enough Homer to put the, the rays winning the AL East, but let's be honest. Boston is an absolute juggernaut. All the additions they've made, even with the David price injury, which is, you know, obviously pretty concerning. Adding Chris sale is basically like putting them back to at least where they were last season. And I just think they're a consensus favorite to win that league. I mean, Andrew Benintendi is going to easily, I think, win Rookie of the year, without a doubt. I mean, he's going to be batting second almost the entire season. And that that lineup is just vaunted from top to bottom. That lineup is so good that they're going to be batting Xander Bogart sixth. So what does that tell you? (laughs) I just, It's crazy. And the Central, um, the only team I think is even close to sniffing at at Cleveland is the Tigers. Um, I mean, the J.D. Martinez injury is concerning. Their pitching staff is in shambles. They've never been able to assemble a bullpen. They have a lot of question marks. And outside of that, there really isn't another contender on that. So I think Cleveland wins this division pretty easily too. The AL West, last year I think the Rangers drastically overperformed. If you look at base runs and uh, just – uh, sequencing Basically, like if you took up all of the positive things that they did and you just put them in like league average order, they were essentially a 500 team. And they just drastically overperformed the Pythagorean, which I don't expect to happen two years in a row. I mean, crazy things have happened, but I think they take a step back. Uh, so I like the Astros. I think the Astros are going to be in complete FU mode this year, to be honest with you. Uh, I like the lineup. I think the uh, rotation has been much better. Uh, If McCullers, Lance McCullers can stay healthy, that is a really, really nice uh, just piece to have there. I mean, tons and tons of hitting. I think they're still one or two moves away from being an actual World Series contender, but I do expect them to get some sort of deal done before the trade deadline, Um, namely a starting pitcher, but also some bullpen help as well. So I like their Astros in the West. And then for the two wildcard teams, I have the Angels and the Mariners. Okay, so the Mariners, I think have... They made a lot of improvements. They added Smiley, who is hurt right now. Uh, They added guys like Dyson. Mitch Hanniger is is going to be playing every day, like we mentioned earlier. I think that offensively, they're going to be better. I think defensively in the outfield, they're going to be a lot better. And uh, they're starting pitching maybe a little bit better if James Paxson takes a step forward and Felix Hernandez is the Felix Hernandez of 2015 and not 2016. Um, So they're kind of... uh, There's not a lot of really strong second-tier teams in the American League, which makes it a little difficult. Um, But... I'm going to pick those two. I'm going to pick the Angels to win it, and then get absolutely dusted by whoever they play in the next round. Um, and then my overall AL champ is Boston. Um, I just they're just too strong, and they just have too many resources. I I, I can't really pick a, a hole in that team. Really quickly though, for the NL East, Washington. There's not another dog in that fight. In the Central, the Cubs. Again, who who who's better than the Cubs? They're, they might win 110 games this year. I mean, seriously. In the West, I. I want to be your boy and be like, yeah, dude, you know, the the giants are totally going to win it. But uh, I feel like it's the yeah. Dodgers year. I really do. I just, I, I feel like it's the I, Dodgers. I year. can't argue.
1: I can't argue.
2: Yeah. And then uh, for the wild card, I'm, it's it's kind of a trendy pick. This could look really stupid in about two months, but I like the Rockies and I like the Mets. Um, the Mets, I mean, they, if they could stay healthy, like I said, they, they're deep in the rotation, even with the injuries and the Rockies are just, uh, I mean, I really like uh, I really like Jonathan Gray. I really like Tyler Anderson, uh, Chatwood. They have they have all these pieces that can actually do something in the starting rotation for the first time ever. I mean, if Jonathan Gray can pitch a 360 RA and with that strikeout rate, they really have a chance, even with that, you know, elevated rate. Um, I'm gonna pick for the NL champion, I'm gonna go with Washington just because I think they're the most complete team. And then for the World Series pick, I guess I'll go the Nationals just because I hate the Red Sox so freaking much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, that Rockies pick, for one, if they had a healthy Desmond and Dahl, I would a 1,000% be on board. But at the same time, I can see it because that lineup is is still disgusting. Like, top to bottom, it's like softball league stuff. You know what's really Um,
2: frustrating? They're good. Why wouldn't they spend a little bit of money and go get Encarnacion? Oh, my God. How perfect would that have been? Dude, that would have broke the internet. Seriously. (laughs) Mm
1: Mm-hmm or go get Napoli for $7 million. Get somebody other than that. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't figure out the Desmond signing to save my life. Not to play first base. Not that he's not a good ball player, but to play first base. I just can't figure that one out at all. Weird. Um, another question I had, I, I, I like all your picks. I agree with pretty much all of them. Um, I saw something, and maybe you'll you'll know because you like the lefty arms, and we're both lefties. Uh, we're the smart people. Um, well you're,
2: you're left-handed too. Yeah. I did not know this. Fellow Southpaw.
1: Yes. I'm a Very gifted nice. lefty. Well, maybe not gifted, but I'm a lefty. Um, <laughs> Drew, Drew Smiley was scratched from his last start, and I really liked him going into drafts, so and now I'm kind of scared just because I told you my philosophy on injured players. Mm-hmm. Um, they diagnosed
2: him with a soggy arm. What is a soggy arm? I saw that rotowire blurb, and I too do not know what a soggy arm is. I, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, yeah, I No, you're not like out of the know or anything like that. I don't know. That's a really weird terminology that I don't think you'd find in any medical book. I think that's just somebody took that from a, a, a press release or uh, they got a quote from a, a beat writer or something. I, I have no idea, but that was pretty interesting. I mean, speaking of lefties, though. Dude, this offseason has been a little brutal, especially the last two weeks. I mean, Carlos Rodon gets hurt. Uh, Drew, Drew Smiley hurt. David Price is hurt. Carlos or, Yeah, Carlos Rodon. And then uh, who was the other one? Steven Matz. Steven Matz is hurt. Matz. It sucks, dude. Matz
1: looks pretty serious because I was reading today. They kept playing, playing it off as el- elbow soreness. Now mm-hmm. I read today he actually had a PRP injection a few days ago. This dude's yep. out at least middle of May. This, like PRP injection basically means we're rehabbing instead of having Tommy John surgery. That's what PRP injection is.
2: That's what I've always kind of taken it as to. I mean, with the caveat being, as always, that I'm not a doctor. When I keep hearing stuff like that, that's really, really unsettling to me. Yeah. What's so frustrating about Max, or excuse me, Matts, is that it's always the health with him. I mean, this dude has four elite pitches: slider, changeup, fastball. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he throws a curve or what his, his fourth pitch is, but last season he had four pitches with a 50% or above in a zone rating, which basically means like that pitch through. went for strikes at least 50% of the time. He was the only pitcher in the majors that did that. Realize how immensely talented he is. He just cannot stay healthy, and it's it's, it's so upsetting.
1: No, I'm with you. I love Matt's. I was big on him coming into the season, my initial rankings and everything. And then it was like I had Matt Modica on a pod, and he was – flat out saying, I just don't touch Matts because he's always hurt. And then like a week later, boom, there goes his elbow. It's just, every report has just gotten worse and worse and worse. The PRP thing the same thing Di Sclafani did with the Reds. It's it has to, I just have to see Tommy John coming. David Price, I think, is going to have Tommy John. I'm avoiding all of these guys. I just don't know how you do it. Bright side, you mentioned Rodon. I'm glad there's no structural because I love Rodon. I know you like Rodon. Mm-hmm. I think you do. We mentioned it before.
2: Yeah, I'm a Rodon guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, God, I can sit here and talk with you all day, but we need to move on to DFS talk. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's not your fault. It's just, we could, I I passed up on a lot of players you were talking about earlier that we could, uh, we could do this for hours. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I want to get to is the way we met was through basically DFS. And then we started our little private chat and then it's, Mm -hmm. it's it's bloomed into so much more since then. Um, Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to have to turn the screen off so no one can see me blush. Um, but you are very, very smart in your DFS play, and I want to get these the people out there that maybe are new to the game or need some help or whatever. Some ideas, like, don't give away all your secrets. You need to be able to cash too. Mm-hmm. But um, just, like, what are some of the things that, um, you, like, do you prefer FanDuel, DraftKings? Which which site do you prefer for one?
2: Um. I don't like that FanDuel doesn't have any late swap. That's really upsetting because I live on the East Coast, right? So you guys kind of have a little bit of an inherent advantage being on the West Coast where if you find out that, you know, somebody's not playing, I mean, you can stay up and you can keep monitoring lineups and stuff. And that's not an issue. You can play later slates and know that a player is playing. I don't have that luxury. That part is pretty difficult about FanDuel. Plus too, I don't like, you know, just their, their, their positioning. I don't like that. There's not a, uh, an extra bat. I mean, stuff like that just infuriates me. I'm, I don't know what they're going to do with this impending merger if they're going to consolidate and become like Fan Kings or Draft Duel or whatever stupid, you know, name, mixed name they come up with. But I would like to see one uniform pricing uh, structure roster. I I want it to become one product instead of the two. I think it's better for both of them. It removes overhead. Hopefully they lower the rake. I doubt it. Um, but if we could just have one where we're not having to constantly like every time I give analysis, I have to say, Oh, well, he's a good play or, you know, he's a good play on this site, but you know, maybe not on this site because of this and that. And there's just so much that goes into it too. But I will say from a software standpoint and from a, a size of the GPP standpoint, I definitely prefer DraftKings. They just always seem to run out bigger competitions. Um, and the app is a lot more intuitive and, I mean, they're getting rid of night mode on the app, by the way, which we were talking about today, really pisses me off because I'm a hardcore night mode app user on everything. Twitter, SMS, everything like that. For the fact that they're getting rid of that is is pretty push, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, they're coming out saying that it's to help enhance new things they're coming out with. Well, I can't wait to see what these are because <laughs> I know it has angered so many people. Yeah. yeah. Um but one a couple of things I wanted to mention is yeah, the merger could lead to a lot of things. I would love just one site like you're saying, Mm -hmm. but the one thing about the two sites is there's always one that's kind of softer pricing and one that's harder. Usually FanDuel for the most part is the softer one. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, really get your crazy fancy team with all your big names, you might want to play there. Um, Secondly, I was reading and I think it happened. We can ask uh, Brad later. He'll know. Um, I believe FanDuel is doing some late swap now this year, and I believe it's like they're gonna have some tournaments with some without. I was reading that.
2: Yeah, I've I've heard that too. I haven't heard anything confirmed. Um, they've also said that they're gonna have a Sunday slate available, and I've yet to see that too. So uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know it's Thursday afternoon. Where's my yeah. Sunday slate, guys? Um, I, I, honestly, I don't know. The late slate is a big thing, or the late swap is a big thing, obviously. Um, having two different sites that I have to worry about and and constantly check and go back and forth. And there's different rules and the scoring is a little different. Last year, FanDuel made a switch to where it was a little bit more competitive. You remember they took off the, the, they took off the minus points for strikeouts and stuff like that, which helps, you know, if I have before it used to be, say a player goes, uh, you know, two for four, but he has two strikeouts. He basically scored zero points. So you mean to tell me because of the strikeouts. So you need to tell me that a player that was batting 500 on the night scores the same amount of points as a player that went over for 4. that is stupid. I have a problem with that. in A lot of points leagues too. that deduct like a full point or a half point for strikeouts. That doesn't make any sense because that doesn't mirror real life baseball. I understand that it's fantasy, but the the whole idea is to make it as reasonable and realistic as possible to the real game. Um, Drop Kings. I don't even know where I'm going with this. DraftKings has done a better job at that, at closer resembling real life, I think. Um, But more and more, you're starting to see that they're starting to mirror each other. And I think, like I said, with the impending merger, you're going to see identical, if it's not the same product, it's going to be almost completely the same thing, 100%. Like the pricing, everything like that, it doesn't make sense to pay two different teams to do things twice. Uh, There's just so much more overhead whenever you do that, but... What's, what is, Bubba, what is your personal opinion on what they're going to do with, with this whole thing, though? Do you think it's going to be two standalone products, or do you think they're going to be one, one product, one app, one team, one CEO? What's that look like to you?
1: I honestly think they're going to stay two separate products, only because if you watch what they just did with golf on FanDuel, which on my next podcast, we're going to go really deep into our master's preview, because this is like week three or four of it now. And most people still have no clue what is going on on FanDuel. <laughs> um, but that, that format is completely different than DraftKings, like a thousand percent. You look at NBA, the rosters are still different, which mm-hmm. you think by now, if they're going to merge, they would have gotten that a lot closer. Because that's a right. big difference when you're building your lineup. Um, yeah. The thing with baseball, why I, this is where I really think it's not going to change is one of the projected scoring changes now is they're getting rid of the win and doing quality starts on FanDuel, mm-hmm. which basically now you never have to pay for a big pitcher because it used to be one pitcher instead of two, like, DraftKings. So paying up for, like, your Kershaw was a locking because you had to have the win in FanDuel. It's like right. when you play hockey, DFS, you have to have the goalie that wins or you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, now that it's just quality start – well, shoot, I'll go pay half the price or a third of the price of Kershaw for Yvonne Nova, who might still get 8Ks on a good night, but you know he's going to give you most nights six innings of three runs or less. Yes, That's what exactly. Nova does, at least with the Pirates. That's what he's done.
2: Yeah. Quality starts is not a perfect stat. So for those who don't know, I'm, your, your listeners are a pretty yeah. smart group if they're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast or, or fantasy sports podcast. But six innings pitched and three three earned runs or less – That's a 4.5 ERA. That is a below average starting pitcher, okay? And you're being rewarded that with a quality start. Is it better than a win? Yes, it's better than a win. However, if you're playing like a GPP or you're playing in a 50-50, you're playing cash games, you're playing head-to-heads, like you said, the threshold now for being a, a viable cash play for a starting pitcher is much, much lower because it's so much easier for you to get a win. You can pitch like dog shit. But you can still get a win, whereas before, like you, like you said, I, I need that win. I need that that super high floor with the wins, especially on FanDuel. And now it's so much easier to attain that. You're going to see a lot of strategy where a lot of those dollars um, – DFS – let me say this. DFS is different in the sense that uh, a lot of the, the big touts will always tell you that, you know, you want to reduce variance as much as seemingly possible in a sport where variance is extremely, extremely high, especially in baseball, right? hitters, the best ones fail 75% of the time, 70% of the time. So pitchers are much more successful on a more, you know, a a more regular rate. So you're going to more often than not spend up on the best pitchers. So now if the lower tier pitchers can get these quality starts, just like a regular, you know, a Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner can, what is the incentive for you to pay up for them? You see what I'm saying? So you're going to start seeing more of your daily allotment of that $50,000 being pushed towards the hitters and less on starting pitchers. And then I think you'll start seeing the sites adjust midseason. Remember last year, it took them forever to get like the starting pitching prices up. Clayton Kershaw at one point was like eleven thousand nine hundred dollars, and everybody's like, "What the hell is going on? He should literally be like fourteen thousand dollars," and he wasn't. Um, you'll notice that too. Like uh, both sites, very very slow to adjust to player pricing. And another thing too, I know I'm just like throwing out like random things one at one at a time, but. Another factor, actually a huge factor in the pricing algorithms for both of these sites is ownership percentage. So even if a player is raking and nobody knows about him, he is still cheap. Players like the Tampa Bay Rays, who nobody knows, like nobody knows that Evan Longoria destroys lefties. They don't know that. Whenever Logan Forsyth played for us, nobody knew that he was a lefty masher. Danny Valencia, uh, who's Danny Valencia, right? I owned him in 100% of my cash lineups and tournaments last season when he hit three home runs against Matt Moore because he crushes lefties. So like, keep that in mind whenever you're building out teams. Like, The most valuable lesson I can teach anybody about DLA Fantasy is splits. Go to Fangraphs.com. Go to the player search. If, you, if you're thinking about using a player, type them in. Click on the little tab that says splits, and you can go down. You can see what he does versus lefties. You can see what he does versus righties. That's where you find what a player is good at. Every single player has an archetype. There's one specific thing that they're good at, and that's that's how you build out a DFS lineup. You're not looking to get, like, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and, you know, all the best players in one lineup. You can literally win a, a line or a tournament with sub-3,000 hitters throughout the entire lineup. Like, that's, that's not something that hasn't been done before. It gets done all the time. But I've been talking too yeah. much, so let me kick it back to you. <laughs>
1: no, I'm loving all of this. This is why I had you on. This is what I want to talk about is – you know, there's an outline, and then there's just good knowledge, and that's what I that's what I wanted right there. Mm. Um, first, I want to hit on is the splits thing. Like you said, I love targeting splits. You targeted it. I know we talk a lot about it, but like for instance, like you you mentioned Valencia. Almost any time the A's faced the lefty, it was Valencia, Simeon. Um, they had their cheap, cheap catcher. I can't remember his name now. Fegley, oh, Fegley, Josh Fegley. John, John Fegley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like four, you could stack the A's. And still mm-hmm. pay for Kershaw and, like, a trout. And it was just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you get at least two – oh, and Chris Davis with a K. You'd have two to three home runs guaranteed almost with an, on an A's night against a mm-hmm. lefty. It yeah. was stupid. Um, but that's one thing, a great point. If a guy is raking and the ownership's low, if you've noticed – I know you noticed, but for the listeners, like when a call-up happens, like say when Stephen Moya came up and he was hitting really well, well mm-hmm. – People would use Moya, but it takes DraftKings almost two weeks to adjust to ownership. Yeah. So yeah. You, can ride, you can ride these guys for a while, and then all of a sudden one day you're going to log in and go, oh, no, what, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. But very good point with the ownership deal. Um, the splits is clutch, very clutch. There's a bunch of websites, but Fangraphs is by far the best for anything you're looking for. Um I'm glad you mentioned this because I want to bring it up because I know we've talked about it. I know your stance, but I want you to <laughs> I
2: know I know I know what you're it. gonna bring up. I know exactly what you're gonna bring up. But go I ahead. want
1: you to explain it to the people. You like splits as your number one. Uh-huh. What
2: is your opinion on wonderful BvP? Okay. I, I yeah, this is exactly what I knew you're gonna bring up. All right. So <laughs> so Bubba, if if you and I are like, hey, let's flip a coin five times, right? I'm heads, you're tails and whoever wins the most flips wins all the money, okay? And you flip tails five times in a row. Does that tell me anything definitive about you? Did we identify that you have some other ungodly skill when it comes to flipping a coin? Or is that simply statistical noise? Is that such a small sample size that we cannot discern any mathematical meaning to that whatsoever? It's the latter, right? It's definitely the latter, okay? Okay. It's frustrating to me whenever people use BVP, whenever they're extremely small sample sizes. Okay, like if it is less than 10 plate appearances, guys, it takes 2000 plus plate appearances for us to even know what a player's true splits are. Like for me to know that Danny Valencia mashes lefties, he has to be in the majors for years before that actual statistical you know number stabilizes to where it's predictive year over year. But then you're going to tell me that you can predict or you're going to make some sort of money decision on five at bats or 10 at bats that's insane i will say this though we've talked about this a little bit during the world baseball classic because we were just grasping at straws just because we wanted action so bad Mm -hmm. if you have two identical players identical prices identical matchups identical parks identical weather identical umpires with their strike zone everything is the same and you're looking for one tiebreaker, I'm talking about this is like the 15th tiebreaker. I will, I will use BVP, okay? That will be the tiebreaker. Perhaps he sees the ball coming out of his hand well. Uh, you know, maybe he's tipping his pitches or something. Maybe they went to college together, and he knows this dude's arsenal much better than other hitters do. I don't know. I think that's, like I said, mostly narrative-driven, and it's completely statistical noise. However, the one caveat being, like, Paul Goldschmidt a couple years ago, destroyed Tim Lincecum and it was it was not 10 at bats it was 50 60 at bats he's batting like 480 and slugging like 800 that dude knows something about Tim Lincecum that other hitters don't you see what I'm saying that becomes a little bit more obvious where he's raking but whenever you have a player who's only seen a pitcher six times they're like oh my god he's four for six with two doubles that is Stupid. That means I don't want to be your friend. I I want to mute you or unfollow you on Twitter, guys. Like that is it's so so bad. You're looking for large sample sizes, right? That are stable, that are proven, that are consistent year over year, and that you can back them up with data. Small sample sizes and BVP, regardless of what any tout tells you, is not is not a smart move. Okay, and it's like the whole thing where it's like, um, you know, well, let's say, well, you know, you can't use stats all the time to, you know, to measure out a player's worth or anything yeah you can't but guess what over a thousand decisions if you're using statistics that back this up to make your decisions you're going to come out ahead at a much higher percentage than somebody who's just going off of feeling or conjecture or a really really small bvp sample i know this is like a really long diatribe it's one of the most annoying i knew you're going to bring this up to on the show by the way it's one of the most annoying things to me on twitter is whenever people start talking about like my favorite play tonight such-and-such is 6-for-10 with two doubles and a home run against this scrub pitcher. I'm like, oh, my God. Get out of here, dude. Get out of here. I'm out. I'm done.
1: <laughs> I had to do it. Um, you set me up perfectly with it. That's why I had to go with it. Um, yeah. Before I won't drag it on too much longer, but I just wanted That's to clarify. A, this is, I is fun. For every, no, I just wanted to clarify for everybody. You did mention sample size. What is, like, an adequate sample size for you and – how long of a period, like, you know, a player could be in the league for like 15 years and maybe he crushed him in his first five years, but not in his last 10, but his sample right. size because of those five years. Can you clarify that real quick?
2: Sure. Okay. So I'm not sure what the exact number is as far as the career splits go. Um, I think like Jeff Zimmerman and Jeff Sullivan, you know, they've all done work on this where it, it takes like 2,500 plate appearances for a, a person's splits to stabilize, which means, you can start seeing within a really small range year over year what that split is going to be. You see what I'm saying? Baseball is inherently variant. It's going to change every single year, but after a certain amount of time, you can kind of see what a guy's true skill level is. As far as DFS goes, we have to make money-based decisions on daily... (laughs) How do I explain it? Like, really, really small, like, scheduled events. Okay, so if it's incredibly random and we know baseball is random. Okay. Why would we not use information that's going to help us? If I know that Evan Longoria smashes lefties, why am I going to target somebody else who is left-handed and he is absolutely dog shit against left-handed pitching? Um, If it it, say, say a player has been in the, how do I explain this? Okay.
0: Okay.
2: Say it's a first-year player. Say it's a rookie player, okay? You don't don't have a huge major league sample to go off of. I'm going to look at minor league stats. I'm going to look at college stats. Whatever I can discern from this statistical profile. As a general rule, a lot. this sounds really simple, Bubba. You've played baseball. I've played a little bit of baseball. Most people play baseball. For those who don't know this, left-handed hitters feast off of right-handed hitters for the most part. Right-handed hitters, for the most part feast off of left-handed hitters. But they're also most of the time decent against right-handed hitters because you face more right-handed pitchers in life. Left-handed pitchers and left-handed hitters are rare. We are rare and special and we are great. We are awesome. So a lot of hitters Obviously. don't a lot of hitters don't get to face left-handed pitchers through high school, through college. One out of five pitchers are left-handed. You see what I'm saying? It's just a smaller, it's just a smaller sample set. So there's no such thing as like a left-handed hitter who hits lefties better than righties. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work out like that. Anybody who says that it is 100% statistical noise. There was a, a trend last season where people were, kept saying that, oh, look at Anthony Rizzo's splits. He's actually slugging at a higher percentage against lefties, uh, you know, and b- as a left-handed hitter than he was versus righties. Of course, three weeks later, that had completely normalized, and it was back to being, you know, whatever. It's so like you can't make. You can't make decisions based on like super micro samples. If a player is hot in the last seven days, go back and look at his starts and look at his stats and see what type of pitcher was he facing? Was he a lefty? Was he a righty? Was he a fastball changeup guy? Was he a fastball slider guy? What type of pitches does this hitter hit? You see what I'm saying? Your, your analysis has to be so much deeper than looking at who the starting pitcher is and then seeing what their ERA is, which I know a lot of people do or, Looking at uh, oh, they're playing the Red Sox tonight. Oh, the Red Sox are really good. Well, maybe maybe they are, but maybe in the last three months, the Red Sox are like 17th in the league and Woba against right-handed pitching. You see, what I'm saying there's just so many things that people don't consider. The biggest takeaway from that, like I could talk about this for, like three hours. I know I'm just I'm just just going and going and going. But I, I challenge people to not take the first assumption that you make about baseball and let that drive how you think about everything about baseball. Um, There's always new information. There's new ways to look at things. And more times than not, your first assumption is going to be wrong about baseball, like 100%. And there are ways statistically to prove that it's wrong. Um, I know that's like very dark and nihilistic, but that's that's true. Do your homework, read fan graphs, get on there, look at splits, find out what players are good at statistically. Every player does one thing a little bit better at, at, at certain things. And then you leverage what you know about him And you you take into account who the starting pitcher is, you know, where the ballpark is, what his cost is, if you can fit him into your lineup, and then just make sound decisions that way.
1: No, totally. Um, Another thing to look at besides splits, and I won't go deep into this, we'll move on. But just like, for instance, come Monday's DFS, there's a lot of really good quote-unquote aces. It's opening day. Mm -hmm. So you need to find places to fade. Yep. Well, it's an obvious one most nights, maybe not on Monday. But look at the Red Sox, for instance. I know it's the Red Sox. We know they mash. They're facing Garrett Cole, who everyone's high on. Garrett Cole is a heavy, heavy fastball pitcher. Yeah. He's not going to dupe you with, like, like off-speed stuff like, you know, some other guys will. Mm-hmm. So now that ace just got knocked down a few pegs. Little things like that, Fangrass will show you what batters hit Certain pitches better. So if you got a guy on the Red Sox that absolutely mashes the fastball, which most pros can hit it, but mash are two different things, and you can Mm -hmm. get value on that against a Garrett Cole, who most might avoid because it's Garrett Cole, now you have something. Because there are like four or five guys, there are like four or five guys that everyone's kind of targeting to hit against already on Monday, like Volquez and stuff. If you can target a Garrett Cole now, you already upper handed yourself a little bit, just little things like that.
2: Minor, And I'll I'll say this too. Um, If you're like with baseball, there's only so many games, right? There's only so many starting pitchers. So if you have 10 games going, that means you have 20 starting pitchers of those 20, 12 of them are going to be pretty bad that nobody even thinks about using. So you have a a pool of eight starting pitchers. Clayton Kershaw loses games. Clayton Kershaw gets up home runs. Yes. You see what I'm saying? If you're going to be playing these big, massive uh, GPPs, these grand guaranteed prize pools, you have to be different. You have to do stupid things that make no sense. We were playing the World Baseball Classic, oh, yes. and we were rostering Eddie Rosario. Why? Not because he is good, but because nobody else is going to. You see what I'm saying? You constantly have to think about what is the obvious move, how, you know, it's a chess match, basically. You're, you're trying to get players in good positions at good costs, uh, you know, against hitters that they, they may do well against, not be stupid about it, but also apply a little bit of game theory to it too. You know, you don't want to take all the obvious picks and just have a super chalky lineup because if it doesn't work out, then you obviously lost money. And if it does work out, it worked out for everyone else too. And you, again, you don't make any money. Every single night in baseball, there is one player who hits two home runs that nobody was thinking of every single night. And I learned this my first year of playing Daily Fantasy. And I was like, you know what? every single night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build one lineup. It's going to be a complete donk lineup. It's going to be a starting pitcher that nobody wants. It's going to be a team stack of bats that nobody thinks is going to do well. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to see what happens. And most of my top five GPP finishes were because of those stupid wonk lineups. There's always merit to fading a player, regardless of what anybody says, especially in baseball. But I mean, even football too. How many times were we like, oh, he's the absolute chalk. We have to use him. And then Le'Veon Bell tweaks his knee or something. You know what I mean? It just something stupid like that always happens every single time in Daily Fantasy. Look, like, play the ownerships too.
1: Yeah, ownerships is very key. Like you said, the only way to win the GPP or to hit it big is you can't have the same things everybody has, like you said. Like, one thing I like to tell people is I know everybody hates Coors Field to begin with, so you can just fade it all around. But you, I always make at least one lineup with the exposure just because you have to. Because if all hell breaks loose, you have to. But what I tell people when you do it take the visiting team because everyone stacks the Rockies. Like just Always.
2: little they things forget, like that. They forget that there are two teams playing in Coors Field. Exactly. Yeah, That's my point. Yes. Everyone
1: forgets that. They go Colorado. Oh, it's the Rockies. No, the Diamondbacks are in Colorado. Okay, give me Goldschmidt. Give me Pollock. Give me Tomas yeah. against the lefty. Hell yeah. Give me all these
2: guys. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought that up too because I, I, I've been talking to a couple of my friends, uh, you know, just privately in like chats and stuff. This year, last year, if I had one fault, it was I was always too cute handling Coors Field. I was trying to do a full-on fade every single night because I knew, oh my God, everybody's going to use Coors Bats. And every single Coors slate, I was trying to fade it. And it cost me money. You know, a couple times it would hit. A couple times out of the year, yep. Coors Field is a complete dud and it's a two-to-one game. But guess what? It doesn't happen very often. Wow. And if we know statistically no. that More times than not, there are going to be a lot of runs scored there, a lot of home runs, a lot of doubles, a lot of gap power. Why am I going to handicap myself over the course of an entire season by constantly fading? Little decisions like that over the long haul. In an industry where the rake is so high and it's so hard to eke out a profit, like I grinded cash, um, just, just as an aside, I grinded cash day for the last two years. I have not missed a slate in over two seasons, right? played every single day, head to heads, 50, 50s. And I was profitable my second year. The first year I lost a little bit. I think it was down like one and a half percent last year. I made money, but you have to understand I have to win almost 56% of the time for me to beat the rake. The sites take in money and people forget this. If you're in head to heads and you win exactly 50% of your head to heads, you lost almost 6% of your money. You got to be good. It is really, really difficult and it's not something to be taken lightly. So with things like fading cores, knowing that it is an optimal offensive environment, you cannot get cute with stuff. Stick to what you know, especially in cash, and, you know, be different in other areas.
1: Yeah, in and, and cash games especially, that's a good lead, and we'll talk about that now because we could go on for this for a while. Um, <laughs> there's cash games, there's GPP. Uh, in baseball, for one, I like playing cash and GPP, but I like playing a little more cash because my knowledge... Okay. It sounds cocky, but my knowledge is I feel like I can balance things out more mm-hmm. and I can kind of, cause if you know, I'm assuming most people play DFS so that'll listen to this. So at least, you know, the price, the, the winning price point is going to be much different in a gas game and GPP. Mm-hmm. Um, but like your brain thinks a lot more contrarian and I've learned a lot from you in that, that realm where I'm more of, I'm, I'm balancing things. So that's why right. I like, you know, balancing things back and forth with you. Um, would you consider yourself and this brings the course field thing is when it does hit, you've already lost every other lineup, like you said. So that's, that was my theory on that. Um, do you consider yourself a cash or a GPP player or do you prefer one or the other basically?
2: So this is a little bit of a trick question. I think everybody prefers GPPs. It's a lot more fun. Okay. Me winning a $50 head to head is it's nice, I like the money, but it's not like, it doesn't get like my adrenaline pumping. Like I don't stay up all night watching, you know, West coast at bats because I think I'm going to bink something. But I mean, I, 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 I play probably, I think my volume last season, my split was 87% cash, 13% GPP, which is a little bit higher than most. Most people recommend like an 80, 20 split, but like, I'll tell you this right now, guys, um, if you hear people saying like, Oh, I'm only a GPP player. Um, sure. There are anomalies and I'm, and if you are, I'm not a hater and more power to you. Um, but if you say, if you hear somebody saying, oh, I just play GPPs, the chances are like 95%. That is a losing player. It is so difficult to consistently be profitable unless you hit a gigantic GPP to mitigate all those losses. Because every single night, man, you can get blanked in GPPs like blanked. Say you play a hundred dollars and you just play GPPs, you can you can lose one hundred dollars. Whereas in cash games, especially if you're playing, you know the chalky picks, the consensus best plays of that night, you can play one hundred one dollar head to heads. You will never. It has never happened to me. I have never gone over one hundred ever. Your return on investment is so much higher. You have a 50% chance of winning back money as opposed to a GPP. where only 20%, sometimes even less of the field cashes. And whenever they do cash, it's a min cash. You see what I'm saying? So, like, it's to answer your in, a, answer your question a long way. I am a predominantly cash player. Um, I think I am better as a GP put, pl- GP put pl- player. Does that's that's hard to say fast GPP player, because that's kind of how my brain thinks. Um, but anybody who says that they're just a a GPP player, uh, I they don't I don't think they have sound bankroll management. To be completely honest with you,
1: <laughs> no, I, I I I a thousand percent agree <laughs> with you. I didn't even play GPPs for almost my first year. I yeah. I was because I, I I toy with it maybe like the five percent and the way I I said my brain initially thought I just didn't have the contrarian nature to do it enough. Like it wasn't me. I was the idiot that would yeah. stack Coors and I'm going to go chalky as chalky could be. But in cash that works, that works in cash games. Yeah. Um, but like I said, your brain talking to you and a couple other guys is it, it open my eyes to a lot of things. It's helped me win not like win the big stuff, but I've, I've done better in the last few years on GPP world. And I hope to take that even farther. Um, Talking about GPP cash, you mentioned head-to-heads, which is one-on-one for the most part. Um, what size contest do you like? Do you like the you know 150 max entries? Do you like the single entries? What are you looking for when you do your DFS?
2: I like I like single entry stuff. Um, like I don't like I don't like getting hit on by the train, where you just miss out caching in a 50 50 because you have one player who max entered. And because he had 50 entries into a a gigantic 50, 50, or he has 25 entries, you just missed out. You see what I'm saying? So technically, like maybe only three players beat you in this 50, 50, but because they had so many entries, you're kind of kept out of the cash like that. Um, That's, that's not really my style at all. I like doing head to heads. Okay. I like me versus one guy. And I know this is, this is something that not a lot of people like to talk about, but one of the stupidest things DraftKings ever did was putting player emblems, the little badges, the experience badges on DraftKings lobbies. And I understand that their intent was was pure in that they were trying to protect newer players by showing them, hey, here's Bubba. Bubba plays a lot. If you're new to DFS, maybe don't play Bubba. You see what I'm saying? But it also worked in yep. a counter where as me as an experienced player who's been playing for years, I can also see theirs. So whenever they're posting head-to-heads... I'm essentially bum hunting in the lobby. I'm looking for people who have really low, little logos, little private logos, and those are the head-to-heads that I'm picking up. It, it had like this reverse effect all last season where a lot of experienced players, and you know, I'll be completely honest with you, I did this a lot too, especially during football, especially during football. I didn't post head-to-heads at all. Why would I post head-to-heads whenever I can guarantee, you know, I don't want to post a head-to-head and have to play Condia in baseball. You see what I'm saying? I can yep. I can I can go to the lobby an hour before lock and I can literally just pick my head to heads. So like if you guys want my advice there, if you're just starting out, if you have a, a an experience badge that is, you know, low, it has like a little private symbol or like a little private first class, don't go post on head to heads, man. Seriously, like you are going to get bum hunted. Like if you post fifty one dollar head to heads, you are going to you're gonna be like, wow, everybody took my action so fast. That's because, you know they see you as a fish and you may be very talented, but you're basically putting yourself at a disadvantage if you're posting head to heads.
1: Yep. Thousand percent agree. Uh, One thing I I have liked for the GPP world, because I want to explain to people, sure. The, the big contest, you can win the bigger prize, but like you said, max entry of one you're facing. I don't want to say the best of the best because they, they are really good. So I don't want to take that away from them, but when you have the ability, it's just common mathematical sense to put 150 lineups in and maybe me and Yance put like three in. Okay, this isn't rocket science to see what your odds are here. You're already behind the eight ball. Now right. they have like, they have the, the single entry GPPs, which are a lot of fun. Your paydays mm-hmm. aren't as much. When you're new to, G, to DFS, don't worry about the payday. Just win. That's yeah. all I'm going to say is just yeah. win. Just take home more than you won the night before. If if you win a contest and it's only four hundred dollars instead of four hundred thousand, sure that sucks. Don't even look at the what number that was. Take your four hundred dollars and be happy. That's like outstanding. Yeah,
2: that's that's that's, bit- frustrating. that's frustrating. That's frustrating. That's to cut you off. But like uh, getting getting you know friends and family and stuff into daily fantasy, and they'll put a hundred dollars on their account. Okay, they only have one hundred dollars, and they start by playing football and they're playing the twenty dollar millionaire maker. And they're putting two entries in. So right off the bat, out of your $100 budget, you're putting in two $20 bullets. So 40% of your entire bankroll is predicated on winning in a tournament that has tens of thousands of entrants. Your chances of winning, you know, not not, not even winning, your chances of cashing are so slim. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing? You, ha- you have to think about that, like... Constantly be thinking about what percentage am I putting in of my bankroll, and how much do I stand to gain? Like, I think if people yeah. really looked at that, they're like, okay, I only have fifty dollars in my account, but I want to play, I want to play uh, the twelve dollar really bad, or I want to play the five dollar knuckleball. Okay, even if you're playing the five dollar, that's. <laughs> Look at the percentage of what that is for your bankroll if you only have $50. You see what I'm saying? Like, you have to think about these things. And in GPPs, like I said, that $50, that $100, that $200, if you're just playing GPPs and you don't cash in a hurry, you're going to go broke in a hurry. And nobody wants to be like, you know, an ATM for DraftKings. You don't want to be constantly just reloading, reloading, reloading.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite things I started doing last year, and I did it in all sports now. The, the max three entries, sure, it might only be worth 20 grand max pot instead yep. of 200 grand. I, still, like, I like take 20 that, grand. Uh, I take that. I think it was in baseball <laughs> last year. I finished seventh and it paid me out like $250. Yeah. Where in reality, in the big one, that same price point would have made like $9. So a, a lot of times, also in the smaller entry tournaments, yeah. yep. it doesn't take as much to win because they're not 150 entries. That's another thing I want to bring up.
2: But it's so, it's like playing the Powerball, okay? Nobody yeah. plays the Powerball until it's like eight hundred million dollars. Or you remember what was it, a year ago, a year and a half ago when it was a billion dollars. All of a sudden, whenever yeah. your odds are their very worse, everybody wants to play. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to play a one dollar, yeah. a one dollar, one hundred man tournament where first place gets what, twenty dollars or twenty seven, whatever whatever they I can't can't remember what the one hundred man is anymore. But nobody that's not exciting to anybody, but they, they, they want to play whenever it's the gigantic, you know, million dollars to first or the, the $2 million million maker season one of the NFL. Nobody, nobody thinks about the math. They just want to, you know, it's yeah. not exciting doubling up. It's not exciting playing $21 head to heads and, and winning, you know, back what $36 or something. It's just, I don't know. It's, I, I I've always thought about that. Like, uh, you know, what am I giving up and what am I going to get back? How, how many people do I have to beat to make this a wise investment? And I think if everybody thought like that a little bit more, um, for one, uh, you wouldn't see nearly as many GPPs filling. uh, (laughs) But two, I I think a lot more people would be profitable than they are.
1: Yeah, that second part for sure. One more thing, and we'll move on, that DraftKings has started to do, I've noticed it in basketball recently and golf as well. Um, They'll still have their big competition, but then they'll have a second one. Instead of like the three three max entry for like 20K – it'll still be a good price point of like 150 or 200,000. Yeah. But it's only tw- it's only 20 entries instead of 150. Makes it a little more it makes it a little more playable for the non-big cheeses basically. And right. it's funny it, it's funny on the nights where they don't offer the big big one and that is the big one. How many quote unquote pros have been throwing a fit over this already? Yeah. Cuz yeah. they can't cuz they can't maximize their optimizer. Which which,
2: yeah. I mean, I get it, and I don't know. I go back and forth on, on on the on the quote unquote pros, whatever. I don't consider myself a pro. I have a regular job. Uh, this is supplemental income. It's nice. My wife loves it. It's it's fun. You know what I mean? I've paid for vacations and stuff with it, but like, I don't I don't need this money. Other people do, and I understand that. That's fine, but. If your entire industry's business model is predicated on catering to a small group of people who are making most of the profits in the industry, that is an industry that is doomed. So whenever they're making all these different changes and stuff like that, you'll always hear the outcry from the elites, you know, like the people at the very top of the industry, um, because they're looking out for their best interests, which I understand. But like I said, you you have to keep the money coming in. You have to keep the the, the bottom happy or that is an industry that's in trouble, 100%.
1: Yeah, and you and Sammy talked about that on uh, their pod that you are on recently, or he was on your pod recently, and yeah. it, it mentioned it very, very well. So people, check that out, uh, the Dear Mr. Fantasy, all their episodes, but recently they talked a lot of DFS on that as well.
2: Let me say one more thing, too. But, and, um, um, you, yeah. One more thing really quickly. Have you ever heard the adage that like it's expensive to be poor? Have you ever heard that? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like Yeah, you... it makes sense, too. Like if you uh if you buy a twenty dollar pair of shoes, it's probably only gonna last you a couple months. And then in two months you're gonna have to buy another twenty pair of shoes and then another and then another. And then over the course of a year, you're actually probably spending more on shoes than a person who bought an eighty dollar pair of shoes would. Does that make sense? It's just like with these little tournaments. Great, people who are just say they have a hundred dollars and they just play one dollar and two dollar and three dollar tournaments like the solo shot and stuff. A lot of people don't realize this, but the lower the tournament, a lot of times the rake is a lot higher by six, seven, eight percent. So it actually costs you more to quote unquote, be poor or to play lower stakes than it does the high stakes. You know, if I'm playing the Thunderdome and you know, I have thousands of dollars invested. Yeah. They're still making a lot of money off of me for the rake, but it's actually a much smaller percentage than the people who are playing $5 tournaments. So that's something to think about too, guys. Like it's so fun to play tournaments, but like I said, that is really where they get you with the rake. It is much higher in GPPs than it is in head to heads.
1: Yeah. On on that same note, what I would suggest to people that want the big payday, instead of playing the three dollar for like two hundred dollars to first, go play the thirty three or the twenty seven dollar like nine person max or nine max entry. Because yep. even if you just barely cash, you're gonna cash for like forty bucks or something, where you're still getting a better payday than if your three dollars hit, you get like five bucks now. Yep. And you're still sitting there going, what just happened?
2: Yep. Flatter flatter payout structures. Look for that too. Yeah. Everybody is chasing the first place prize. The chances of you winning first is like very, very slim. But look, try to make money. You know what I mean? Two extra money is trick yourself into thinking that doubling your money is fun because it is fun and that's what's going to keep you playing.
1: Bingo. All right. You mentioned Fangraphs as one of your favorite sites of all. Is there any other sites you use for your research or is it pretty much all a one-stop shop?
2: Um, I use fan graphs a lot. Um, I read a lot of columnists and stuff. I, I, I subscribe to baseball perspectives, which is behind a paywall, but, um, I think it's $40 a year. I would highly recommend that you guys do that. I mean, the analysis there is second to none. They have a lot of their own proprietary stats like DRA, which is discern run average. It basically takes ERA and it takes FIP and it takes all these different things, but it also adds in things like, um, Uh, uh, an umpire's uh, proclivity for calling strikes if they have a different strike zone it takes into account weather humidity uh I mean there's so many things that it factors into it it's a much more accurate predictor of future success than any other staff we have for pitching um like when I talked about Chris Archer earlier his DRA last season was fantastic like he was basically like a top 10 pitcher and nobody knew it just because his ERA was elevated you see what I'm saying um so I use baseball prospectus a lot um, I use rotogrinders a lot, a lot of their, uh, tools, uh, for like splits and stuff like that. They break down like WOBA and matchups and weather. They have all that stuff kind of, you know, accumulated together. Um, other than that, not a whole lot. I mean, I'm, I'm more of like an articles type of person. I don't use a lot of tools. I don't use a lot of optimizers. Um, I'm just, I, I like to read is what I like to do. I like to read. I like to get on Twitter. I like to follow a ton of beat writers and know what's going on with individual players and teams and stuff. Um, but Fangraphs is my joint. That's where I spend most of my time.
1: Fangraphs is amazing. I, I'm i not the biggest um, – I'm not against any of the stats stuff at all. I just, like mm-hmm. I said, when I first started out just being cash, It's just I just used my common knowledge of the game that I've grown up watching my whole life, right. and I could put together that stuff. The more I've slowly learned it, and by far I'm still not even close to the level of you and Brock and some of the other guys we talked to when it comes to understanding, you know, WOBA and DRA, all that stuff, I'm learning. Um, I definitely recommend the sites you mentioned for that. Cause baseball prospectus, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like a whole glossary page to just like learn stuff off. And yeah, I think it was perspective, just tons of stuff. Um, fan is amazing. I read an article last night. It took me a while. Cause like I said, I'm not a big stats guy, but I'm learning just <laughs> an article. It was on the Cubs, like five to 10 year projections. This guy broke down every possible scenario on war and everything else a phenomenal article. It might take you a while to wrap your head around it, but
0: it's a phenomenal <laughs> article. So
1: he breaks down all 30 teams salary-wise, years of contracts, blah, 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 of why yep. this team will excel. And it's amazing because if you look at who's been excelling lately, they're all at the top. It makes thousand percent sense. Yeah. Um, so basically it justifies these stats is what I'm trying to say. Um, like Yancey, I follow a ton of beat writers, a ton. I people look at me and they go, why do you follow, like, 1,100 people? Well, if you really want to break it down, I I, I know it's a lot compared to some, but I follow, like, multiple beat writers for a team because you never know what comes out. Like, it's just crazy. And so I'm always doing that. And one thing I do, but I work out of my vehicle all day, so it's easier for me. I am a podcast whore. That's, like, Yancey's a
2: podcast whore because he's always on podcasts. I'm a podcast artist But, I, I, but I'm a consumer. I'm also a consumer. I, I love yeah. podcasts. I, I love them. And they're free. they free. I
1: yeah. <laughs> I listen. There's so much good knowledge out there. It's unbelievable. I mentioned I mentioned names. I, I'm saying it. Sammy's on, on one. Baseball Hall of Synonymous. Amazing podcast. Paul Spore, who we talked about his team earlier, he does his fan graphs. He's During the season, I believe he says he do four a week. One of them on the weekends where it's all waiver wire stuff. Like there is – so much friends of the fantasy benefits. I'm gonna start plugging them all here pretty soon. They do one every day, like, there is content for hours, all free, all free. Really good guys, and you'll see you'll hear a lot of these guys, like Yancey and other guys. They all intertwine and work with each other on these podcasts. Lots of quality information. I highly recommend that. If you don't have time to sit there and go over a computer or whatever, and you're just commuting, find one or two that you really like. Hit me up on Twitter, yeah, any of us. Stuff. We'll help you with ideas. There's tons of them. Mm
2: -hmm. And to be honest, I recommend that the, the, the fantasy community is incredibly inclusive. Uh, You know, just a couple of years ago, I was just a random guy on Twitter with like a hundred followers and I just liked fantasy baseball and none of my family and friends like it down here. I'm the only one. I I never grew up with baseball. Nobody in my family likes it. And so I just started going on Twitter and just following people and interacting with people and even people with a, a lot of followers, they will interact with you and follow you back and invite you on their show and you can come on theirs and, um, you'd be surprised at how gracious the fantasy baseball community is with their time. Um, uh, there's a lot of information out there, but like I said, these people are, are very, very welcoming. They're very gracious. And it's like the coolest little community. Seriously. Um, if there's like one, like uh, request of your listeners, it's like, if you guys reach out to me, if you guys follow me on Twitter, um, I get a lot of like, you know, spam bots and, and random accounts and stuff like that, or, you know, people trying to get me to like sell stuff for them let me know. I would love to reach out to you guys. Uh, I consider this like a huge community, Bubba. we've become really, really good friends in the last two years, just by back and forth, whatever, having never met in person, you know, you live out there on the West coast. I'm over here on the East coast, but it, uh, it's a, I'm being, I'm being all like sappy right now, but it really is a, a cool fantasy community.
1: No, it is. And um, since I started doing bench with Bubba, like I said, it's only episode 32, but um, I reached out to you because I know you've built in the community for guys to record with recently, literally you gave me a name. You might've talked to them real briefly or whatever. It took me like 30 seconds. Sure. I'll be on your podcast. And they've all been great guests. They all want to mm-hmm. come back and do it again. Um, like you said, they're so welcoming. Like everybody just cool down earth people. The most important thing they like baseball. That's all. We all share the same thing. Yeah.
2: That helps. It's, yeah. it's very simple.
1: <laughs> very simple. Um, but Yeah. Off the sappy train, which I really I really like. I, I want to keep going there, but yeah, it's a, it's I'm adorable. adorable. It's, a,
2: it's a good look for you, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. I can't even look at you now.
1: Um, when you, so we've talked about building lineups. You know, you got your cash lineups, your GPP lineups. Um, when you're building your lineups, what's like your main strategy when you start? I'm honestly not the finished product where you can start. You know, mm-hmm. tinkering. What's like? What do you? How do you approach building your lineup?
2: Uh, so the first thing I always look at is starting pitcher matchups. I want to see who's pitching, uh, and I, I, I can tell immediately, just like your listeners can, you guys know which pitchers are good, which ones aren't, with pretty remarkable accuracy. People know who is good and who is not. I get a baseline of just who's starting, what the schedule looks like, how many teams are playing. Um, Coors Field is one of the first things I look at. I try to see, if is it a Coors field home game oh is it i know exactly what most of these lineups are going to look like um from there i go to bovada or you know i go to any of the sp- online sports books i want vegas odds i want implied team totals i want to see what the over-under is for a specific game it's on those things that we do not know they have databases with just so much proprietary information that they're they're creating these numbers from and if you just use vegas lines to bet all season long You know, and to kind of like cater your lineups to targeting certain lineups or certain pitchers, um, you're going to do much better than you would just using your own information. These guys, you know, year over year, they make money almost every single year because of this. So Vegas odds are incredibly, incredibly important. Um, After that, I start looking at weather. Um, I, for the most part with cash games, I don't like to get cute with games that are potential rainouts, especially with starting pitchers. I might use hitters because, you know, if a starting pitcher starts and then, you know, through two innings, it starts raining and there's a 45 minute delay, uh, more often than not, they're not going to bring him back out. They will go ahead and make that a bullpen game, but the, the hitters are fine. They'll bring them back out. Uh, so things like that, I'd like to pay attention to injuries. I'm always taking uh, note of injuries and I, I, I immediately, once I've done all that, I kind of get like a rough idea of what the slate looks like. I start looking at pricing. Um, I always start with the pitchers first. I identify who I kind of want to, uh, you know, the most obvious as far as like a, who has the highest upside as far as strikeouts, who's in a pitching in a really good ballpark for pitchers. Like, a, for instance, like a Kansas City is a great pitcher's ballpark. The uh, Tropicana for Tampa is a great pitcher's ballpark. Ballparks that I avoid, obviously, Coors Field. I don't want to run my pitcher out in Camden Yards in Baltimore. I don't want them to pitch in Texas in the summer. You know, excuse me, things like that. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm I trying to, before I even build up my hitters, I'm constantly waiting. I don't really build lineups until I start seeing lineups come in. And that's where I start identifying value. So if there's a player who's the min sal, which is $2,000 for a hitter, I'm not considering him until I see like, wait, what the hell? He is all of a sudden batting second because there was an injury. And he's $2,000. You see what I'm saying? Um, then that player becomes on my radar. And all through the day, as I'm acquiring, you know, these little pieces of information from Twitter and from MLB Trade Rumors and, you know, whatever information I can get from grinders and, you know, podcasts and stuff that I'm listening to, um, I just keep like a rolling list. I have like a note. I have a Google spreadsheet that I'm keeping all all this little these little pieces of information in there so I can go back to them. And then uh, probably about 4 30 to 5 o'clock, whenever the lineups start trickling in, I start building my lineups. I'll build multiple variations of my cash lineups. Sometimes, depending if like there are a lot of really good options, there's a lot of really you know obvious plays. But you say there's four third basemen, you can't use them all. Obviously, I might hedge just a little bit, and I might build two or three different cash lineups. Um, and with tournaments, sometimes I've only built one tournament lineup and rolled it out there. Sometimes I've built fifty tournament lineups and built them all by hand. It just really depends on what my 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 time looks like that night, if how much I like the slate, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's kind of, I'll say this with, with fantasy baseball, with daily fantasy baseball, every single day I spend hours working on it. Um, as soon as I get up, I, like I said, I, before I get ready for work, I'm looking up stats and and information and schedules on my phone on my 15 minute breaks and my 30 minute breaks and my lunch breaks at work. I'm looking at it. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm combing Twitter. I'm taking notes. I have a notepad that I take to work every single day. People think it's dorky as hell. Um, whatever you know what I mean, and then like I'll show them like screenshots and stuff like that. They're like, "Oh, okay, I get it. I see why you do it now." You see what I'm saying? Um, but all day, guys, like if you want to be successful, you have to put the work in. There are so many people like Bubba, like myself, like our buddy Brad, like Sammy. You know that that this is their this is like their main hobby. This is something that they really enjoy. They spend a lot of time on this. They have experience. They're going into this with a huge head start over you. Uh, do not expect to. You know, start building lineups at 630 at night, you know, just 30 minutes before lineups lock and being competitive night in and night out. Uh, if you want to win over a, an extended period of time, you've got to put the time in. You've got to find as much information as you can. you got to reach out to people who know what they're doing and partner with them. Like Sammy has made me so sharp. Brock, Ryan Noonan, guys like that, that, you know, iron Shy of iron. If you think you're good, go find somebody else and wean ideas off of them. That's like my biggest piece of advice. Like there is always more to be learned. There's so much information to assimilate. And if, if you don't have any type of like social like support system or whatever, I think you're missing out on a lot of really, really useful information.
1: That was outstanding. Um, That was really good. I, I'm just going to go, I was taking notes as you were talking. So
2: Sorry, this I talk a lot, like,
1: dude. It's terrible. No, 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 no. No, this is kind of like, like when we build lines. We have our notepads. It's funny you mentioned you have a notepad. I either have – because I do a, a DFS podcast once in a while, so I have all my notes on that, and then I'll take that with me all day. Yep. Or I have the Notes app on my iPhone where literally every time I hear something, I go into that Notes app, and it literally – it says MLB DFS, and I just change the date every morning. And I just keep yes. adding – it's like a scrolling page of stuff. Yep. And then I just open it up and start building – like. There's always something going on when a beat writer posts something or this or that, the other. What I want to say is um, I love the fact you brought up Vegas and the way you brought them up, because I mentioned it with like the college basketball tournament is don't look at seedings. Look at what Vegas is saying. Vegas is very intelligent people. The lights Mm -hmm. stay on for a reason. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love looking at over unders a, you can look at the high ones if you're going to build cash because Obviously, they think that's where the offense is coming from. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. No, but your chances are a lot higher if Vegas is saying, okay, you know, a normal place like say even a say a game in Kansas City, like you said, where most over unders are like seven to eights roughly, usually seven and a half. Yep. Now all of a sudden, one night's like, oh, Kansas City's got an over under of nine. Okay, that opens my eyes. I need to go see what the heck's going on in Kansas City. Yeah. And um, I love I love that concept. Team totals are huge. Uh, you don't have to have an account anywhere people. You can Google this stuff. There's so many free sites you can go on to and look things up. Mm-hmm. Team totals are very, very important, especially if you go on a site like Fangraphs or others where you have, like, as the season gets going early on, it's tough. But as the season gets going, you get your, um, like, what their average team total per game is. Now, when Vegas puts out a line that's a run or a run and a half higher, okay, there's a time to target this team now. That might not be a normal team to target gpp wise this could be good um love that whether i'm a big person on weather because i'm not a risky player given gpps it's good to be risky at time mm-hmm. i hate it when a game gets rained out two innings in and you're absolutely screwed
2: yeah Killer. especially in tournaments especially in tournaments okay so, so say I say i know that a game is gonna have rain so i fade the both starting pitchers on that side right but i'm like you know what i, I really like one hitter in that matchup though i'm just gonna plug in one hitter Say that rain, that, that rain, say that game does get canceled because of rain. If you have one player with a zero and a GPP, you're done. You're 100% done. You may min cash, but there you have zero chance of winning a GPP with a zero. It is impossible. So, like, taking that into consideration, too, like, yes, sometimes it's going to pay off. But, you know, over, over the course of an entire season, just like you said with the Vegas totals, are they always right? Is Vegas always right? No, they're not. But if, you, if you're making a thousand decisions, right, at a higher clip than you are. So why wouldn't you use information from professionals who, like you said, are keeping the lights on every single day? Like during the NCAA tournament, we were just picking Vegas fa- favorites for the most part. You know what I mean? I mean, like in the first round, who was it? Like uh, Wichita State was a 10 seed and Dayton was a seven. And everybody is picking a seven seed simply because well they're the higher seed. No, that doesn't mean anything. This the the selection committee is retarded. Sorry, that's not a PC word. My my apologies. Um, but not a PC podcast. It's okay. You know, but if you use if you use Vegas totals or you, you would know that East Tennessee State was actually a favorite. They were a first round favorite by one and a half points. Those things matter. Just use use as many tools as you possibly have, especially free resources like Vegas odds, like Roto Grinders, like these beat writers, like these podcasts. You don't have to be super rich, guys. Like. Like just to like give you guys like a little inside, I started out with like fifty dollars and I grinded quarter arcade. You can literally play tournaments for a quarter. You can max. It, it used to be what was it five hundred? Yeah, you used to be able to put five hundred in. Now I think it's fifty because so many people fill them out. But you yep. can you can go to rotor grinders for free. Okay, you can use their optimizer, the lineup builder for free. You can get all the players you want. It can, it can assemble 50 different combinations for you. You can spend $12.50 and then max enter the quarter arcade and you have all of the advantages that these big boys do as far as building lineups. Like the excuse that, oh, well, yeah, they're building 500 lineups. Of course they're going to win. No, in the Millionaire Maker, when there's 250,000 entries and they only have 500, guess what? They have less than half a percent chance of winning and yet the same guys always are. So what does that tell you? They're using other information. They're researching. They're working hard. They're grinding. They're treating this seriously like a job. Um, I used to play poker semi-professionally. And when I say semi, I mean like semi-semi-professionally. I was 16 years old. I was playing full tilt. I did Ironman every single month. So I was playing 300,000 plus hands a month, playing one cent, two cent, grinding multi-tables at once, right? But I took it seriously. Even as an adult, when I was 21 years old, playing in casinos and dog tracks, I never drank. I never, you know... I, I never brought friends or anything like that. I went there. I wasn't social. I didn't have headphones in or anything like that. I was there to grind. With this, like I said, there's so many people who are so competitive at this. This is their lifestyle. This is how they put food on their ta- table. Take this seriously. If you want to have fun, you just want to throw in a couple bullets here or there. That's fine. But if you want to put any type of serious money on this and actually be good over the course of an entire season or multiple seasons, you got to take this serious and you got to treat it like a job.
1: And the reason why you got to plan it the way you're talking about is baseball is such a goofy game. It's such a long season. You're going to have two to three week spells where you don't make a dollar. Yeah. So you, like, yeah. like or it yeah. just drains. <laughs> but so you need to have the discipline. But then you're going to have two to three week spells where it seems like it doesn't matter what lineup you put out. It's just green line, green line, green line all over the place. It's mm-hmm. just, it's baseball. Baseball is so crazy. That's why. That's why when you look at a baseball schedule, sorry, tangent, it's like 162 games. When you look at projections for teams win losses, everyone already says, okay, give them 60 wins and 60 losses. Now what do they do with the last third of the season? That's how it always works in baseball. It'll be the same in DFS. But do your research, you'll be fine. Like um, Bringing you back to the weather, like GPP-wise, if you're going to be aggressive and play the weather game, go all in. Don't just play one guy. Like you said, because if you lose one guy, you're going to lose anyways. Go all in and go full faith like uh, everything else. Um, I like how you do those things. Then you look at prices. A lot of people look at prices first. I I do it a lot. I'll get bored the night before and start looking at prices. I like how you do that. Basically, you already have a mindset without even any bias involved. I like that philosophy a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then lineups, I can't agree with that enough. I'll make some of my own personal lineups. Then I'll see ones get released if I see like, I think it was like Kiermaier in years past or like the, the rays are always really good at it. Yeah. Um, They'll put sneaky guys at the top of the order that have huge value all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So definitely be able to Bob and weave. And um, one thing I will definitely say, especially more so in GPPs, but cash is just all the same in theory. You don't have to use your whole budget. People always think you have to use the whole 50 K. Yeah if you have a very good lineup that has quote unquote good projections and everything, and you still have, you know, a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, even that's kind of crazy of a thousand dollars, but a few hundred bucks, there's nothing wrong with that. I made a golf lineup two weeks ago with all eight K and below players. I had 20 something, hundred dollars, 3000 left over and they all cashed in GPPs and cashes. They didn't Mm -hmm. hit the big money, but they cashed. Mm -hmm. You don't have to max things out.
2: People, um, and the same thing right. you said for any sport, too. We did that in NASCAR, too. Guys, yeah. we, Bubba and I, well, yeah, we're, we're grinding NASCAR. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm telling you guys, Yancey, this is why I keep saying his brain. I love Yancey. Even this even last night in golf, because I watch a lot of golf, and Brad plays a lot of golf, Yancey comes in and goes, hey, here's my lineups. Who do you think are the high-owned guys? Give me some low-owned guys. So he comes yeah. back this morning with three lineups just out of nowhere, and yeah. it's just – but it's I, perfect for GPP. So you got to have that mindset though. And that's what we did in NASCAR. Same thing. It's just like, we don't know what the heck we're doing, but
2: <laughs> it works out. Dude, crazy stuff happens, dude, in in, in golf and baseball and NASCAR. The first week of NASCAR in Daytona, 35 cars were involved in a wreck. So guess what? There's only 40 cars. That means there's, there were five cars that were not involved in a wreck. So just pick, make a lineup with five wonky ass drivers or you know make a stack make a team stack with an offense that isn't projected to score high you know don't do it every single night because you're going to be behind the eight ball but occasionally mix things up like that take a chance on a on a game wow. that looks like it's going to be a rain out you know things like that you, you, always be thinking about how you can be different how you can differentiate yourself and like you said too, leave in three or four hundred dollars what that does some people would say that that's not optimal um I get what they're saying because the one resource that you have is your salary cap. And if you don't use all of it, you're actually leaving a resource on the table. I get that dollar points and stuff like that. That does make sense. But oftentimes, especially whenever there are really obvious value plays and you use all the way up to like your full max, like $50,000, you are the chances of you having a completely unique lineup are very, very slim. You're going to see a lot of people with the exact same combination that you have. That's why you always want to leave a little bit of money left on the table like that.
1: Completely agree. Um, man, we covered a lot of stuff here. I'm looking to see what else we could go over. Um, are
2: you ready for this weekend? Dude, I'm so ready. I, like I said, they're supposed to be releasing a slate for the Sunday game. There's three games on Sunday, six teams. They've, they've made slates of worse three game slates than this. And this is opening weekend. I would be stunned if they don't, but I've been doing a ton of research, uh, I mean, I, I feel like I know the player pool extremely, extremely well. I still got to kind of comb through the, uh, you know, like the dollar values and stuff. And uh, first weekend is really tough, guys. I will say this. Don't go all in on anything. Uh, there are a lot of unknowns right now uh, as far as, um, you know, pitchers who you think were bad in the spring. Uh, they may have just been working on a pitch type or, or sequencing or they have a new catcher or uh, they were slowly ramping up intentionally. Things like that. Um, or, you know, hitters there's a new 10 day DL this year and we don't know who's going to be on the disabled list. We don't know what lineups are going to look like. Um, There's just a lot of information to take in. I, as excited as I am, I would just be reticent about going all in and spending a ton of your bankroll because we have a really, really limited data set to go by. So just make smart decisions. Uh, Don't overextend your bankroll, have fun with it. Obviously this is about having fun. If it's not fun, then I know I've been kind of like a militant, like describing like how serious you have to be and how, you know, you have to work really hard at it, but um do have fun i enjoy the hell out of it um i mean you know this dude like i there's nothing better than this it's the best time of the year um i i mean can we come on tomorrow and talk about this again (laughs) i mean we we just put in two hours but i mean it's 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 so much fun dude and like i said if you guys have any questions please reach out to me like i would i would love to talk to you guys i'd love to reach out to people like that don't be a stranger like bubba and i are 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 Always looking to to kind of like bring people into the fold. Like it's a, it's it's one one big happy community when it comes to DFS.
1: Yeah, that's why I've always said as long as I haven't been busy, I usually respond to everybody that tweets me stuff. Like it's not it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's like I love talking baseball with pretty much anybody that wants to talk baseball, mm-hmm. especially fantasy baseball. So uh, I know we talked about it last time you're on, and we did it again tonight. I can sit and talk to you for hours about this stuff. So I will definitely have you back again sometime. Um, yeah, sure. It's awesome. His information is great, people. Check out his podcast, Dear Mr. Fantasy. Really good stuff there. If you want to go off the sports path and go a little mainstream media or, or old school, mm-hmm. whatever you're feeling, because his co-host, Chris McBrien, really takes you back. Go yep. pop, goes your world. Awesome podcast. It won't be two hours long like this. It'll be you know, <laughs> 30 to 45 minutes.
0: Yeah,
1: um, A lot of good stuff on there. Uh, just awesome stuff. You can check them out on Twitter at Yancey Eaton. Uh, Anything else you'd like to say, my friend?
2: No, man, I think that covers it. Just uh, thank you for having me on again. Obviously I hope to do this uh, very, very soon. I'll have you on my podcast too. And uh, like I said, guys, don't be strange on Twitter. Hit me up. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Two hours strong. My wife is so pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, my, my wife keeps texting me. She's at the grocery store wondering what I need. And I'm sitting there going, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. But um, awesome, man. Thank you so much. We'll do this again. Uh, everybody, this was Ben with Bubba episode 32. Just fantasy baseball, fantasy DFS, you name it. We talked about it. It was a great time. Enjoy the opening weekend. We'll catch you guys next time.